Welcome to the Patricia Raskin Show, the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions. And now, the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio. Here's your host, Patricia Raskin. Hi, everyone, and welcome. Welcome to the Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show, right here on VoiceAmerica.com, America's Voice. And this is the program that shows you how to turn your obstacles into opportunities and your problems into solutions and help you make your dreams come true. And today's no exception. We have a wonderful topic and a wonderful guest. My guest is Barbara Becker. Her book is called Heartwood, The Art of Living with the End in Mind. And this is really, it, it's talking about a difficult topic and it's a comfort for anyone contemplating their own morality or in search of advice from other people. Barbara Becker is the founder of Equal Shot, which is a strategic communications consultancy specializing in strengthening the voice of the nonprofit community. For over 25 years, she has served a broad range of institutions, including the United Nations, Human Rights First, the Mrs. Foundation, the Ms. Foundation for Women, and the Grameen Bank of Bangladesh. She has taught on the faculty of Columbia University's Master Program in Strategic, Strategic Communications and has been a regular contributor to the Huffington Post. Barbara Becker holds a Master's of Art in International Administration from the School for International Training and a Master of Arts in Media Studies from the New York School and a Bachelor of Arts in Sociology and Anthropology from Haverford College. She is an ordained interfaith minister. Welcome, Barbara. Patricia, it's such an honor to be with you and your listeners. Thank you. Really appreciate this. So um, I guess my first question is, why did you feel the need to write this book? Were you getting a lot of people that were afraid of end of life or hearing about end of life issues or getting ill and scared? Um, Talk about that. When I turned 40, actually, when I turned 30, my earliest childhood friend, whose name was Marissa, was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And Marissa, when she was given the last year to live of her life and the doctors said they couldn't do anything more for her, she lived that year so beautifully. She was such an inspiration. I mean, she did that thing that you hear about where people with a terminal diagnosis um, live as if every day could be their last and they live richly and they live fully. So she went ahead and she married her college sweetheart, even though she knew she didn't have a lot of time left. Mm-hmm. And between chemo treatments, she had traveled to Italy, which was her family's ancestral homeland. And she spent quality time with the people most dear to her in her life. Now, meanwhile, I was full of anxiety. I was thinking about what life would be like to lose Marissa. I extrapolated to, you know, someday my parents will die. And then I turned to my own mortality. You know, someday I will die. So I had worked myself up into an anxious ball. And what I did was what I do every time I'm I'm faced with a big question in life. I turned to reading, to the wise saints and sages throughout the ages, 
from the Buddha to St. Benedict to Marcus Aurelius and Seneca, the Stoic philosophers, to our homegrown philosopher, Henry David Thoreau. And I found that they all had something in common, which is that they advised us if we want to live our lives completely fully, we should act as if we have our own death ever present in our minds to not run away from our mortality, but to actually stand firm and to face it. And this was a massive paradigm shift for me, as I'm sure it is for many other people. Mm. And um, it set me off on the journey of writing this book, Heartwood, The Art of Living with the End in Mind. So are you saying that we need to live every day as though that day could be our last day? It is an intense practice, and it's well worth trying. So I did do that. And in the process, I decided that I wanted to get even closer to an understanding of death, to take death on as a teacher, if you will. I mean, in our culture, we have this image of death with a hood and a scythe pointing its bony fingers at us, beckoning us to come. But I thought, what if it's just not like that? What if we're just buying into the fear? And what if it's um, something that can teach us about how to be more present in our own lives? Mm-hmm. You know, it was around that time that I found a commencement speech by Steve Jobs from Apple, and he had been diagnosed with a terminal illness. And he actually said that death is the best invention of life because it's life's change agent. Now, in a way, it invites us to re-examine our priorities Mm. and to set things straight that we don't want to come to the end of our lives not having looked at. Hmm. So again, it's, it's the same thing, living your life to the fullest, not waiting, um, but knowing that and being more present being here now. Yes. But that's good advice for any of us in any stage of our life. Yeah, we don't even need to have an illness of any kind. It's just a switch of perspective, you know, a way of appreciating the things that we have and, you know, seeking forgiveness for the places where we may have fallen, for accepting forgiveness, and for offering love. Yeah. You know, people are so afraid um, to be with the dying. They often feel that they don't know how to behave or what to say. What did you learn from working with hospice patients that you think could help us? So I decided that in getting closer to death, I was going to become trained to work on hospice. And I sought out these two Zen monks who live in New York City, where I live. And I was trained by them, an apprentice in a sense, to be with the dying. And I was assigned to the busiest floor of Bellevue Hospital, which is uh, our large public hospital in New York. It's an intimidating place in in literature, and a lot of people know about it. Um, 
It's uh, a, an incredibly diverse place representing the diversity of our enormous city. And I was, uh, I was really scared. <laughs> the first time I went into that hospital, I thought, what am I going to do? You know, a, a patient might ask me a big, important existential question, and, and I need to have all the answers. So I was going down that route, not sure at all how to be with the dying. But I remembered something that one of those Zen monks had said to me, which is that, you know, you might go into the room of a patient who's sitting there watching Jeopardy, and your job isn't to answer those big existential questions they're not even asking, but to just pull up the chair and to watch Jeopardy together. So being with the dying is really about meeting people where they are, not where you think they might be or should be. Hmm. Yeah, it's it's a hard for a lot of people. Um, but, you know, coming to terms with death is a central theme of all religions. So what do you think we can learn from various religions and spiritual traditions when it comes to death and dying? Do you have practices that you personally rely upon? And what about people who lose their faith during their illness or their loss and don't have a religious tradition to begin with? Oh, what an important question. And I actually wrote Hartwood to um, be of comfort to people for whom the traditional ways of thinking about religion and spirituality might not speak to them. Um, so the Hartwood metaphor that the book is based on is actually derived from my experience around death and the death of my parents. You know, after my parents had died, I was looking for some kind of simile or metaphor or symbol um, that would help me process their loss. And my husband and I went for a walk in an old growth forest, and I learned that inside the trunk of all of those tall trees is a central pillar. It's called heartwood. And it's prized by woodworkers for its durability and its strength. But what's surprising is that heartwood is actually dead. It's inert. Now, it's not participating anymore in the flow of water and nutrients up and down the tree. But for the sapwood and the growth rings to grow around it, for the tree to thrive, we absolutely need that heartwood, you know, the strength of what has come before. And I thought to myself, ah, this is, this is it. This makes so much sense to me. I mean, those that we have loved and lost as people, just like the trees, become the enduring sense of support that we have. So that's um, an example of I know people for whom religion um, and and traditions around spirituality might not work. But I also observed, having had the opportunity to work on that hospice floor, that religion can be an incredible source of comfort to people. Um, one day I walked into the room of an Indian woman who had a notebook in front of her and she was using a red pen and she was writing the same Sanskrit word over and over and over again. And her husband said to me that it's actually a practice from Hinduism called Japa, 
which means, you know, this, this very dedicated repetition of the name of God to focus her. So she was writing Ram, 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 God, 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 over and over again. And I have heard subsequently that this was also the final words of Gandhi as he was lying there dying. Ram, Ram. Wow. Wow. Well, we're going to take a break and when we come back, we'll talk more about the title of the book, Heartwood, and how um, how that really relates. As you said, it's not living that Heartwood, but it's kind of the strength of everything around it that's living. So I, that's a very interesting metaphor. And we can talk about that after the break. My guest today is Barbara Becker, and her book is Heartwood, The Art of Living with the end in mind. This this book was the winner of the 2022 Nautilus Gold Award. So, and it, it's really there um, to confront this difficult topic and be a comfort for anyone who's contemplating their own mortality or searching advice from others. And the website, Barbara, is? It's barbarabecker.com. All right. Thanks so much. All right, everyone. We'll be right back with Barbara Becker right after the break, right here on voiceamerica.com, America's Voice. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips offers a psychological perspective on coping with common and current life issues. This show addresses topics as varied as marital stress, insomnia, depression, raising teens, campus violence, and building self-resilience. Listen in as Dr. Phillips and her guest experts share the latest in books, findings, and information that will inform and enhance your life journey. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. It's time to get real, discover who you are, and get the tools to navigate your life. It's time to rock your midlife with Dr. Ellen Albertson, the Midlife Whisperer. Your midlife roadmap is the blueprint you need to roll with change, transform yourself, and create a fabulous second adulthood. Get answers and solutions for whatever you're up against and transform problems into opportunities. Make your next life chapter your best chapter with Rock Your Midlife every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Think of the world. 50 years ago. Now think of this same world and how it'll be 50 years from now. Did you know that if the world's population continues to grow at its current rate, our children and grandchildren will only have 25% of the resources per capita that our parents and grandparents had? We must preserve the foundation of a quality standard of living. That foundation starts with Go Green Radio. Join your host, Jill Buck, for Go Green Radio every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to The Patricia Raskin Show. If you wish to call into our program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That number again is 1-866-472-5788. 
You may also send an email to Patricia at PatriciaRaskin.com. Now, back to The Patricia Raskin Show. Hi, everyone, and we are back. I'm back with Barbara Becker, the author of the book Heartwood, The Art of Living with the End in Mind. And this book received the 2022 Nautilus Gold Award. Barbara Becker is the founder of Equal Shot, which is a strategic communications consultancy specializing in strengthening the voice of the nonprofit community. For over 25 years, she has worked with a broad range of institutions, including United Nations, Human Rights First, the Ms. Foundation for Women, and the Grameen Bank of Bangladesh. She's also taught on the faculty of Columbia University's master program, and is a regular contributor to the Huffington Post. So welcome back, Barbara. And um, I know you have some wonderful quotes from your book. So read us one from Hartwood. This passage is from the introduction. I have learned that being open to death is a powerful way to learn about living, that when we stop pretending we will live forever, a certain tightness begins to loosen. Slowly, as we give ourselves permission to relax the vice grip we use to try to control our circumstances, a sense of freedom emerges from within. Though little may have changed on the outside, and loss will continue to be our companion, our internal landscape is renewed. Just as we will cherish ourselves more, we will cherish others more as well. Sometimes, as the great masters have taught, we have to die before we die if we want to truly live. Mm. Mm. Explain that last sentence. We have to die before we die if we really want to live or truly live. Explain that. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I, I view this as... You know, we um, are are servants to our egos. We love to er worship our egos. And we need some practices that help eliminate this unending desire for wealth and power and appearances and to come back to what truly matters. And the best way I have ever seen of doing that is to follow this advice, to live with the end in mind, not pretending it will never happen, but really facing it. Yeah, yeah, really. And speaking of that, you shared, um, you shared, I think, in the book, maybe not in the book, but I know you shared that you were recently diagnosed with breast cancer, just as Hartwood was being released. So how are you doing and what did you learn from writing this book that helped you and helps you now? Thank you so much for asking that question. You know, the actual day of Hartwood's release into the world when most authors are out there celebrating and doing media interviews, um, I was actually that very day having surgery for this new diagnosis of breast cancer. 
Um, it was really a rubber meets the road moment, um, a chance to see if what I had learned in writing Heartwood was still relevant to my life. Um, I was very fortunate that it was caught early and my prognosis is really good. Um, and I, I uh, got to see what the Taoists have so eloquently talked about when they said that this is a world of 10,000 joys and 10,000 sorrows. Um, and our job is to learn how to dance between the two. You know, the social psychologists are talking these days about toxic positivity, which is that we're constantly looking for the silver linings in our lives. You know, if something bad happens, we're like, well, look on the bright side, you know, um, and it's, you know, it can be a useful skill to a point. Um, but we also need to turn and just like in looking at death, look at these other things that happen to us along the way, the setbacks, the illnesses. Um, and I have grown enormously since the diagnosis and treatment of this breast cancer in just allowing myself to look at that. Hmm. How would you say you've grown? Has it made you more tolerant? Has it make, brought you more joy? Has it also helped you to live more in the moment? Yes, 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 and yes. <laughs> um, I am, you know, one of the things that I do now, which I, I really didn't do before, is I look for all of the endings in life, not just the deaths, but you know, I started thinking that everyday goodbyes, you know, to our partners, to our children, to, you know, even the clerk at the grocery store, these are all just small ways to mm -hmm. practice mm -hmm. learning how to say goodbye. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I spend a lot more time telling people that I love them and why I love them. Um and I also am a great seeker of joy. You know, when I was um, diagnosed, one of my teachers who I met in the interfaith seminary I attended was a Sufi or the mystical dimension of Islam teacher. And I, I went to her asking for some kind of, of prayer that I could say, um, you know, as I was undergoing radiation every day. And she, she did, she taught me the most beautiful prayer, um, which was the prayer of the prophet Muhammad every day of his life, uh, about bringing light into all of his body. And I loved that. And then the Sufi teacher said to me, and if that fails, I need you to, turn on, let it go from, from frozen and just dance around your apartment singing at the top of your lungs. <laughs> so I just really appreciated that. I mean, there are lessons everywhere, you know, from the religious to the secular, and it's just ours for being open to it. Mm, yeah. Again, it goes back to living in the now, the joy, taking each moment. And when you talked about the goodbyes, you know, we have goodbyes every day. I mean, we meet people that impact us just in a moment, and then we may never see them again. Yes. You know, we call them those those amazing strangers that really impact our lives. So it's some, and it's, and as you said, it's 
looking at that and saying, I met this amazing person today and they said this to me and it really affected me. And you may not be able to thank them because you may not know their name, but you really, um, it really impacts you. It yes. makes a difference. It makes such a difference. And it's a way, I mean, it gives life its shine. And and to somebody who's maybe religious or or spiritual, they might even say it's sacred, Mm -hmm. um, these moments when we uh, really open ourselves up to the now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we have a few minutes to break. So you had said something about seminary. And I know um, part of this was you were so affected by questions about people making, you know, really going through this, that you decided toward the end of the book to go to seminary and become an ordained interfaith minister. So um, tell us about that, that decision and how that has helped you as well. Oh, I would love to. There is a beautiful seminary in New York City, which is also virtual, called One Spirit Interfaith Alliance. And um, when I discovered it and I learned that teachers would be ministers from the Christian tradition, they would be rabbis, they would be imams, they would be Native American wisdom holders, um, you know, they would be Hindu priests, Buddhist monks. I, I was thrilled um, because I had seen so much strength and wisdom coming from people at the end of their lives on the hospice floor. Um, so I attended this two-year seminary, and I am now ordained as an interfaith minister. And one of the things I've been lucky to do in the past couple of years is do some blessings at Heart Island, New York City's Potter's Field, during the height of the COVID pandemic. You know, as a way of, of giving back, but also to be present for all of the deaths, not just the privileged people who are able to have their families around them, but also for those who are traditionally forgotten. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, as you said, I think it sounds like all of this has just brought you more consciousness and consciousness about humanity. Oh, that's so beautifully said. That's really what it is. I, I I said to my husband as I was becoming ordained, I said, I don't know if I want the title reverend. And he said, you know, Barbara, it's not really about reverend. It's about bringing reverence into your life. And that's exactly what it is to me. Wonderful. Do you do individual counts? counseling with people or do you teach classes if people want to contact you online? I do teach classes um, and I work with individuals in um, certain situations. I'm, I'm still teaching at One Spirit. Um, I'm teaching a class coming up on what does it mean to be an everyday pilgrim? Um, and I can tell you a story about that when we come back from the break. Yeah. Yeah. I'd really love that. How can people find you again? The best way to find me is at my website, which is barbarabecker.com. And there's a contact me page. There's a reader's guide for Heartwood. Um, and my social media handles are there as well. Okay, great. All right, Barbara. So we're going to take a break. And then just to let people know, Barbara Becker is the author of this wonderful book and very inspirational and comforting book, which is called Heartwood. The Art of Living with the End in Mind. And when we come back, we'll talk about, again, why it's called Heartwood. She explained it before, but I think it's just um, 
so amazing to look at this this heartwood that is not living, but everything is living around it. And I think that that's really fascinating. Barbara Becker is the founder of Equal Shot, which is a strategic communications consultancy, strengthening the voices of the nonprofit community. She's worked with the United Nations, Human Rights First, the Grameen Bank of Bangladesh. She's on the faculty of Columbia University's Master Program in Strategic Communications, and she's a regular contributor to the Huffington Post. And when we come back, we're going to talk more about mortality, coming to terms with mortality. What are some of the lessons in the book about mortality? You're listening to the Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show right here on voiceamerica.com, America's Voice, and we'll be right back. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. It is time to change the negative narrative of divorce. Families are hungry for a different option. Listen to The Good Divorce Show with Karen McNinney. You will discover how to function as one family living in two homes. There are high-functioning, stable, and happy divorce families living in your neighborhood. What's their secret sauce? What did their journey look like? Do they have regrets or recommendations? Let's find out. It's never too late to have a good divorce. The Good Divorce Show, Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Do you ever have an off day? Or is your life positive and uplifting? Making Life Brighter is a forum for positive, inspired, and contemplative thought, showcasing experts in their fields, including authors, musicians, and artists. Your host, Winifred Adams, will bring to life topics to stimulate and make your life brighter. We want to hear from you. Be sure to tune in Thursdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in to Melody Edmondson's The Space of the Waste radio program. This companion piece to her successful guidebook series, The Space of the Waste, focuses on body types and how to make your waist length flattering, no matter what your body type is. Guests include designers, merchandise managers, factory owners, and more. You'll also find out what accessories will complement your body shape and waist length. Tune in every Tuesday at noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Variety. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. are listening to the patricia raskin show if you wish to call into our program today please call 1-866-472-5788 that number again is 1-866-472-5788 you may also send an email to patricia at patriciaraskin.com now back to the patricia raskin show hi everyone and we are back my guest is barbara becker and her the name of her book is Heartwood, The Art of Living with the End in Mind, which is the winner of the 2022 Nautilus Gold Award. And in this this book is, you know, it's in the vein of death-aware books such as Mitch Albom's Tuesdays with Maury and Nina Riggs' The Bright Hour. Heartwood is a companion book, not just for those grieving 
or those comforting them, but for all of us. And the book Heartward is a firm but gentle promise that that at the center of loss, love can be found and inspiring readers to live with the end in mind. It's a love letter to life, viewing grief not as a problem to be solved, but rather as a sacred invitation, an opportunity to let go into something even greater, a love that will inform us all the days of our lives. So it's a beautiful book with a beautiful guest. Welcome back, Barbara. Thank you, Patricia. Yeah. So tell us, um, do you feel now any closer in coming to terms with your own mortality? And what are some lessons in this book that you would want readers to come away with? I do feel closer to coming to an acceptance of my own mortality, although I am definitely still a work in progress. And, um, you know, I, I can't pretend to have all of the answers. I mean, death and dying is hard. Um, it's, you know, towards the end of our lives, we frequently lose energy and we don't feel well. So there really is an invitation to pay attention now, right now, while we're still able to have these conversations. Um, one of the things that I've learned is that it's so important to not do this alone. I mean, sure, we can, we can journal and think and pray or whatever our inclination is um, on the topic of our own mortality, but it's best done with others. Um, I've been really heartened by all of the people who are forming reading groups around the book so that they can can talk about the losses in their lives. And a really ironic thing I've been finding is that we talk about death as the greatest taboo in our society. And it really may appear to be that way. But once you start being vulnerable, now once you really start inviting conversation, people can't stop. I mean, some of these reading groups have reported back to me that they have shared things with each other, even though they might have been going on for a decade that they hadn't shared before. And I think that is one of the beautiful things about this topic. It's the vulnerability. It's the common humanity and the opportunity to say, I, you know, I'm scared, or I don't know what happens after I die, or let me just think through with you all what might be on my higher self bucket list. Mm, yeah. What are some of the lessons in the book or some of the stories from the book that really mm. illustrate this? Um, so I learned first about death when I was in third grade. Um, I was snooping around my parents' bedroom while they were both out, and uh, I found my dad's wallet, and I um, saw inside he had a, a photograph of my mom, but I could see behind it another photograph, like the edges of a photograph that I pulled out, and it was a woman I had never seen before. And I, I was just standing there a little dumbfounded, not knowing who she was or why she was in my dad's wallet. 
And my mom walked in, she had come home and she caught me in the act of looking in my dad's wallet. And I, I was a little indignant, I'm afraid. And I said, mom, who is this? And um, she told me that it was my father's first wife. He had been married before he met my mom. And um, shortly after their honeymoon, this woman, whose name was Maureen, um, had been killed in a, a motorboat accident when she and my dad were out for the day with one of my dad's colleagues. Um, I, I was so surprised to learn this. And I, I have sort of subsequently learned that my parents dealt with this loss and explaining it to a child in a way that everybody advises, which is to let the child lead. Um, let them ask the questions. You don't have to fill in all the blanks all at once. But over the years, I got to see firsthand what it was like to deal with loss, the tragedy for my father of losing a person that he had never even had the luxury of having a fight with because their relationship was so new and so beautiful. Um, but mostly I learned from my mom, like how to be with the uncomfortableness of loss, especially your spouse's um, great love. How could she live in that space of being okay with that? And my mom was an extraordinary person. And I learned that a lot about dealing with loss is about in the small acts or the acts that seem small, but are actually much larger. So my mom, for instance, every year at Christmas time, would pay to have a, le a wreath laid at Maureen's grave in honor of her every single holiday for as long as my mother lived. Like, what a beautiful, generous act, you know, a way of saying you were important to my love. So every year he honors her. Yes, every year my mom helped my dad honor her by being the one who contacted that cemetery and paid to have that wreath laid at her gravestone. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful, it really is. It really is. Share another story with us that may be a little different from this one. Um, maybe a story about sudden death or the loss of a child or, you know, a story that's, um, or a murder or a suicide. Uh, talk to us about one of those. I'm glad that you're bringing this up. One thing I, I tell people frequently is that there is no hierarchy of loss. Um, sometimes people feel like, I can't talk about the loss of my grandparent because somebody's child died by suicide. Mm. Um, and it's, um, you know, I really feel like if someone's loss is important to them, it should be important to all of us. And so an example of this was something that I had to um, take a look at in my own life. Um, I actually had two miscarriages um, when my husband and I were trying to have children. 
And I found out that they were two daughters who would have been born um, in the spaces in between my sons, who are very much alive, um, would have been born. But it was a time of such um, darkness in my life. Um, I really felt at that point, and now we're going back about 20 years, that um, there was no conversation about this kind of loss. Uh, you know, it was before social media, even, or the very, very beginnings of, of social media. People were not openly talking about miscarriage and pregnancy loss and loss of, of young children. Um, so I demanded silence. You know, I, I didn't want my husband to talk about this because I didn't want people's pity. I was really afraid of that emotion of pity. Um, you know, as time went on and I began to heal, my husband and I, um, for instance, planted a tree by his parents' house in the country um, for each of these daughters that we would have had. We wrote them letters. Um, we participated in a beautiful ceremony, uh, folding paper cranes in their honor at the, at the Zen center where I had learned from the Zen monks. It took all those years to heal. But, uh, one year, uh, fairly recently, I decided I was going to put something up on Facebook. So it was October 15th, which is the National Day of Loss around pregnancy and infant loss. And I told the story of our losses, what had happened. And I named these two daughters by name, Arden and Adele. And I invited other people to share their losses in the comments. And before I knew it, there were a hundred comments of people who were friends and people who I really thought I knew about their lives, but I only knew about half of their stories of loss. And uh, it moved me. And, and it was also an instance where I thought, no more silence. I don't want to be quiet about this anymore. Yeah, and it's helping so many, so many people um, I think your point about um, it's the word I want to use, differentiating and making one loss greater than another, like if someone took their life by suicide or someone died because their time was over and they were 98 years old, that that one's okay and easier than the other one. And what you're saying is um, there is no, it, it's loss is loss. Loss That's is right. loss. That's you know, right. Even though it may have happened in a different circumstance. All right, when we come back, we're going to talk about how do you handle loss like in the first holiday season, um, whether it's, um, you know, spring rituals or fall or summer or, again, our holidays in, in December, whether it's uh, Christmas or Ramadan or Hanukkah or Passover or Easter or any of these or Fourth of July or Thanksgiving or any of these holidays where we've gotten together with our families and now they're not there. So I'm going to talk to Barbara about that when we come back. So again, we're talking to Barbara Becker and the name of her book is Heartwood, The Art of Living with the End in Mind. You're listening to the Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show right here on voiceamerica.com, America's Voice, and we'll be right back.
follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. As humans, we suffer when we believe we are not good enough. We are taught we must be better, look better, try harder, and achieve more. We cope with the stress and disappointment of life in ways that make us feel worse and keep us stuck in a cycle of unworthiness. We don't have to live this way. You don't have to live this way. Kirsten and her guests will share how self-acceptance and unconditional self-love can help you break this cycle and find freedom. Listen to Giraffe Tango Octopus, Freedom for Humans, with Kirsten Johansson, Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Planning for college? Tune in to Getting In, a college coach conversation for tips, techniques, and insider perspectives. Hosted by Elizabeth Heaton, a former admissions officer at the University of Pennsylvania, and featuring her fellow admissions and college finance experts from Bright Horizons College Coach. The show shares what colleges are really looking for and how to highlight your hard-won achievements for the best chance of success. New episodes air every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Today, our 40s sit firmly in midlife. We are starting to feel our place and have many productive years ahead. But now is the best time to plan for our future life. Listen for 45 Forward with host Ron Roel. From retirement to health and technology to caring for our parents, no topic is off the table. We don't have a roadmap to our actual future, but we can start to plan more effectively. Tune into 45 Forward, Mondays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to The Patricia Raskin Show. If you wish to call into our program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That number again is 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to Patricia at PatriciaRaskin.com. Now, back to The Patricia Raskin Show. Hi, everyone, and we are back. We are back with Barbara Becker. And the name of her book is Heartwood, The Art of Living with the End in Mind. And this book is really, um, it's comforting a very difficult topic. And it's a comfort for anyone who's contemplating their own morality or in search of advice from other people. And that actually was written by Publishers Weekly. And the book is the winner of the 2022 Nautilus Gold Award. Barbara Becker is the founder of Equal Shot which is a strategic communications consultancy specializing in strengthening the voice of the nonprofit community. She has served with a broad range of institutions for over 20 years, including the United Nations Human Rights First, the Ms. Foundation for Women, and the Grameen Bank of Bangladesh. She has taught on the faculty of Columbia University's Master Program in Strategic Communications, and she has been a regular contributor to the Huffington Post. And she's located in New York City, and you can find her at barbarabecker.com. So welcome back, Barbara. Thank you, Patricia. For our final segment today. So let's talk about holidays, no matter what holiday it is. How do you deal with the holiday when you got together with that person year after year and they're not there now? 
This can be one of the hardest times to deal with loss because of all of the reminders of, of really beautiful times together. Um, this is where the power of story comes in. Um, Gloria Steinem, when she read Heartwood, um, said to me that telling our stories is the hardest thing we have to do, but it's also the most important thing we have to do. We have to learn to let people in and to um, explore the depth and richness of our own lives by telling the story sometimes over and over and over again. And so it's really important if you're supporting someone who's grieving during the holidays or really at any time is to not stop them if they've told that story before or they've even told it in a different way because it is the process of healing to, to tell stories. Um, I am also a huge believer in ritual. Um, and I feel like ritual takes us outside of the speedy life that we all lead with all of our obligations and all of our gadgets and all of these demands on our time and invites us into a stillness, um, sometimes invites us into pain and sorrow. But this is where we have to learn to kind of sit and and to sort of marinate in the loss because we can't really be able to take the next steps if we haven't acknowledged what has happened. Um, I'm reminded of the time around September 11th when I was in New York City with my one-year-old son in a stroller just a couple blocks from the World Trade Center when the planes hit. And the, um, I worked at a, at an office on Wall Street and so many people were in so many levels of trauma that they had grief therapists come in and talk to us. And they said, you know, you might want to brush this under the rug. It's sort of a natural tendency to just go on. But if you do that, we promise you, they said, that this loss will come back when you have another loss in your life or when you least expect it. And it it's haunting and it's so much to deal with. So deal with it now. And um, I thought that was really profound. We really do need to tell our stories. We need to slow down. We need to light candles. I love what they do in other cultures around the world. For instance, on Dia de los Muertos, the Day of the Dead in Mexico, what a gorgeous practice of lighting a candle in honor of someone who died, going to the gravesite, putting out the food they loved, the drinks they loved, singing so the celebrating. music. Celebrating. Celebrating. Exactly. Celebrating. Exactly. Yeah. Incredible. What would you like to leave our listeners with today? What would be your closing thoughts? Mm. Well, one thing I wanted to share, because it might help others, was around my own cancer diagnosis. Um, I was walking with a good friend named Matt. Um, he has multiple sclerosis, and he has it quite badly. And I was venting a little bit at his invitation um, about the things that could happen. I know I was I was thinking, am I going to survive this? I mean, it was in the time before I knew what I was dealing with. 
Um, you know, will I see my children graduate? Will I see them have children someday? I mean, I was really going there. And he listened and he took that all in. And he said, you know, Barbara, the trick is that it sounds like you're writing chapter 24 of your life when you're really on chapter four. Like stay present, stay with it. And that's what we have to do for each other. We really have to bring each other back to listen when um, people are in an anxious state and then to come back to the present. We owe that to others. We owe it to ourselves. And if people are caregivers out there, um, I know I was for both of my parents, um, you know, what we really need to do is to take care of ourselves, to do at least one thing a day that is exclusively for ourselves, whether that's a walk around the block or a walk around our own house, um, you know, whether it's listening to a song that you love, but just something that's only for you. Um, yeah. it's, it's good advice to live by. Yeah, absolutely. And how can people find your book again? Uh, my book is available wherever books are sold. Uh, I love the indie bookstores. They will all order it for you if it's not already on their shelves. Um, and you can find other links for purchasing it um, on my website, barbarabecker.com. Wonderful. It's been really an honor to have you on the program today, Barbara. Uh, the honor is really mine. And I'm wishing you and all of your listeners well. Thank you. Thank you. Stay on with us for a second. All right, folks, that wraps up this edition of the Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show. You can find me, Patricia, at patriciaraskin.com. If you'd like to be on my newsletter list and see all these wonderful guests we have on each week, then just write to me. Also, too, um, if you're interested in doing your own podcast, I help people get their own messages out as well as getting them out through my show, creating their own podcast shows. I've interviewed about 5,000 guest experts in my career and would love to help you do the same and, and really get that positive message out. So contact me, Patricia, patriciaraskin.com. And also you can find me on Facebook, Patricia Raskin, Raskin Resources. Remember, stay healthy, stay happy, get the support you need and know you can make your dreams come true. Until next time, I'm Patricia Raskin. Bye for now. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of The Patricia Raskin Show. Be sure to join Patricia Raskin and another amazing guest next Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have an outstanding week.